Welcome to Sunlight Community Church. My name is Neil France. I'm an elder here at Sunlight, and I am really excited about coming to you today to speak about priorities. Sermon is part of our circle series. Speaking of circles, what is it with that? That is not a circle. You guys, does that bug you? It just bugs me. Right? Every time I see that circle, I call it that circular figure of line, uh, I don't even know what to call it, lines, I, I have to color it in. Is anybody else, like, obsessed with Yes. All right, at least one person. And she coached tennis with me. That's cool. What? I know. Those creative people, you know, they, they got it right. Um, well, I'm speaking today on priorities, but I thought before we started, when we, when we look at that circle... I thought it might be good to find out a little bit more about circles. You know, we're using them in one way, but, you know, I'm a math teacher, so that circle kind of, kind of means something different to me. So I kind of entitled this segment, Fun with Circles by Sheldon Coop. No, I'm Neil France. Um, number one, the circle is a symbol of infinity, right? The line that never ends. That's why we have wedding rings. Number two, the circle gives us pie. Not the kind your mom makes. Remember, right? Circumference divided by diameter. That's pi. The circle is the shape that gives us the maximum possible area for its perimeter. You all knew that. This Kind of a side note here. You ever went to a pizza place, 8-inch pizzas, and you see a 16-inch pizza? And you're like, we can buy two 8-inch pizzas, and it's way cheaper than that 16-inch pizza. Of course. It's four times the area, that 16-inch pizza, right? You all knew that, just, just in case you didn't. And how about this one? Walking in circles. You ever feel like you're walking in a circle? Um, In situations where there are no navigational clues, such as a snowstorm or a thick fog, humans always end up going around in circles. We kind of knew that, right? A research study was done in 2009 in Germany where they tracked people using a GPS. And when the sun and the moon was out, they were perfectly capable of walking in a straight line. But when it wasn't, they started to walk in circles crossing their own path several times. The average diameter of the circle they walked was only 66 feet. So it suggested that we have no instinctive sense of direction. Husbands are going, I knew that, right? Maybe your wife does have a great sense of direction, I don't know. Ant circles. Ant circles, what? It's a group of army ants get separated from the main foraging party. They can lose the pheromone track and begin to follow one another. They form a continuously rotating circle and keep going until they die of exhaustion. Those poor ants. Unbelievable. Well, enough fun with circles. Who knew circles could be so exciting, right? Well, our circles are exciting too, so join one if you're not a part of a circle. That would be a great thing to do. Also, we'd like to remind you that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. There's inserts we've included in your worship folder. They're back in the Connection Center. And we would love to shower our pastors with love during October. Um, remember, most of the things on that list don't require money. Maybe some time, maybe some thought and effort, but not money. So uh, whether it's babysitting, a card, whatever it might be, try to think of a way you can show appreciation to our pastors this month. We are going to take up a special offering at the end of the month, um, so just so that you're prepared to that, prepared for that. So before we dig into God's Word today... And look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. It's an awesome responsibility, Lord. And 
I just ask that your spirit be here today, that your spirit be near us, that your spirit be with us as we think through this passage and we think through how and what you want to do with this passage in our lives. And I pray that you would teach us today and that your spirit would guide and direct all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And as you're turning to Philippians or scrolling there on your phone, whatever you're doing, um, when Pastor John gave me the option to preach a sermon, I looked at stuff, and quite frankly, the only reason I picked this topic was because Philippians is my favorite book in the Bible. And I think it became my favorite book in the Bible because back in college, and you're going to see a reason why in a few minutes here, um, my basketball coach made me memorize scripture. I know, that's kind of weird, right? I went to a Christian college, and one of the passages we memorized, we memorized in four, my four years of college, we memorized passages, three out of four years, from the book of Philippians. And this was one of those passages. So, let's read it together. But whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's an incredible passage. I've read that passage over and over and over, and and every time I read it, something different jumps out at me. But first of all, verse 7, whatever was my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. We didn't read all the verses before, but Paul is saying in all the verses before that he was it. He was uh, circumcised on the eighth day, what he had to be in the the, uh, Jewish faith. He was from the right tribe of Benjamin. He was from the right family. He had a nice private school education with a priest to teach him everything he knew. And he then took all that and didn't just sit on it, but then he was zealous. He was zealous for his faith. We know that, right? He was there when Stephen was stoned. He was active in his faith. He was actively pursuing Christians to kill them when Jesus got his attention. And you could definitely say Paul was the number one Judaizer in the planet, on the planet, right? A Judaizer was someone who still followed the law, didn't think the Messiah had come yet. You know, he was, he was like the Michael Jordan of basketball, the Babe Ruth of baseball, the... Ronald Reagan of presidents, the Pele of soccer, whatever you want to say. You probably disagree with my examples, but you know he was the best. He had reason to be confident in his flesh. He had reasons to be confident in his accomplishments. In verse 7, he states that even though he used to think those things were important, he doesn't anymore. His priority used to be all the things he could do to get into heaven. If I accomplish all this stuff, God will surely be pleased with me, right? Do we ever think like that? Do we ever, if we're truly honest, try to impress God? 
The word used for loss here means the loss that happens in trade, like on a boat. You have people, you have their goods, and then you have all this trade, the, the stuff that you're carrying so that you can take it somewhere to sell it and make money. Um, but those goods are thrown overboard if there's a, if there's a you know, problems, uh, shipwreck, those things that happen. They get thrown overboard so that the people can be saved. So Paul is saying that in going through life for the purpose of gaining salvation, he used to think that circumcision, following great moral principles, and wanting the approval of his fellow man were the utmost important, but now he realizes that none of that matters. The only thing of value in obtaining salvation is faith in Christ. Verse 8 continues, I count everything a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. There it is, right? This passage is supposed to be on priorities, right? The sermon's on priorities, there it is. The number one priority in every believer's life, right? You knew it before you sat down today. It's like, why did I come to church? I know the answer to this question. Knowing Jesus Christ, right? And I'll go home. There it is. Different people say it different ways. Westminster Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper, my favorite guy I listen to, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. My college, Grace College mission statement, to know him and to make him known. Sunlight's mission, a movement of people following Jesus. Before that, love God and love people. Before that, I can't remember. Any of you remember? Help me out. No? Right? They change. The mission changes, right? But it's always really the same thing. It's just, you know, it's like those circles, marketing tools, you know, whatever. I don't know. But it's, it's, uh, it's the same concept. Matthew six thirty three. look at the Bible. But seek first that kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added on to you. So you get the idea. We know what our top priority in life, which is stated so many times should be as Jesus followers, but do we actually do it? Right? As Stephen Covey says, one of the seven habits of highly effective people, put first things first or make the main thing in your life the main thing. Paul's passion and never-ending goal in life was number one. His only priority was to know Jesus. That should be our number one priority in life also is to know Jesus. Paul could have put confidence in his flesh, but he considered it loss for the sake of Christ and called it rubbish, which means horse manure, not just something that's kind of okay. It's disgusting to him. He knew nothing he accomplished apart from Christ was worth anything. He totally changed his mindset from someone who thought the things they, were, they did were the most important to someone whose sole passion was to know Jesus. What's your confidence in? If someone asks you why you're going to heaven, what do you say? And by the way, that is a great conversation starter at work, right? You having trouble Try to make a spiritual conversation at work. Ask one of your people, you think you're going to heaven? Or why do you think, why do you think? Just assume they are, right? Why do you think you're going to heaven? See what they say. Do you realize sometimes the things that we do as Christians get in the way of us knowing Jesus? Paul's saying all those things I used to do didn't get me closer to God. They just made me look better to a group of people I was trying to impress. That, those people really didn't matter. Sometimes I think for myself, why do I do the things I do at church secretly? Do, am I trying to put points in my Jesus account? Am I doing it because I might look good for people? Do I look at other people who maybe aren't as busy as me and say, 
uh, why can't they do more at church? Is doing things for God a barrier to my relationship with God? That's something I have to think about. Paul says all that matters is that I gain Christ. In order to gain him, I have to know him. All the other stuff doesn't help me know him better. But what does the word know really mean, right? One definition is to be aware of through observation. I can know something. I can see it going on. Um, just gave, give me some information about a, a concept. That's not what he's talking about here. In this context, the word is a way deeper level of knowing. It's developing a relationship with someone by meeting and spending time with them. It's an experimental, experimental knowing. It's tasting the goodness of the Lord and being in his presence. Steve talked about it last week as the closeness he offers to all believers. That kind of knowing was Paul's all-consuming passion. Paul wanted to know God in all ways, but he wanted to know him in three particular ways that I want to share with you. The first one is he wanted to know the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Another way of saying this, he wanted the faithfulness of Christ. He could care less about what he had accomplished. He wanted to ride the back of the one who died for him on the cross. As Titus 3.5 says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Paul abandoned all the things that supposedly made him righteous to seek Jesus. D.A. Carson gives us a warning about people. He says, we may be tempted to brag about still less important things, our wealth, our education, our emotional stability, our families, our political or business successes, our denominational alignments, or even what version of the Bible we use. Be careful of people like that. They tend to regard everyone who is outside their little group as somehow inferior. Somewhere along the way, they inadvertently or even intentionally and maliciously imagine faith in Jesus Christ and delight in him as a little less important than their personal accomplishments. Instead, look around for those people whose constant confidence is in Jesus Christ, whose constant boast is Jesus Christ, whose constant delight is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of their worship, the center of their gratitude, the center of their love, the center of their hope. Emulate those whose constant confidence is in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Have you had those people in your life? Have you had those people that you've looked up to in your life? I hope you have. I want to take time to, to look at a couple of those people in my own life. Um, the first person here... None of you probably know, maybe a couple of you probably know. Hopefully we can get that slide up on the screen. Uh, yeah, there he is. That's my dad. Uh, just celebrated his 90th birthday, and that was an awesome time to celebrate who he is as a person, but he's who showed me Jesus. And I'm sure a lot of you can, can say a similar thing, that your parents or your family was the one who showed you and led you to Jesus. And if we're going to know the person of Jesus Sometimes we just have to see it in skin and bones, right? And when we see it that close to us, then we realize that, that Jesus is real. And we can experience that love. So I can't even begin to tell all the things my dad has done and, and been in my life. And if I started, I'd just start crying. So let's go to the next one. Um, the second one on my screen is kind of an interesting individual. Um, there he is. In my picture, I cut off his head. I'm like, oh, no. Not in that one. That's good. Um, that's my college basketball coach. I said earlier that, that we had to memorize scripture. This is the gentleman who made me, made me do that. Um, 42 years he was a head coach at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. 
and went to his retirement banquet uh, last Saturday at Grace and got to hear all people say great things about him. And uh, he just, he's been a great inspiration to take egotistical college guys who think they're the best athletes in the world and come to Grace College and teach them that, you know what, there's something more important than basketball, and it's knowing Jesus. And he did that for 42 years. And kind of like the scripture on the floor, too. That was his life verse. So who has it been for you? No person ever replaces Jesus Christ, but who was it? Uh, who's Jesus in your life? Who are you looking up to? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. It should be your desire to have people following you, looking up to you, and hoping they see Jesus in you. Never think the things you do aren't important. Never think a little sin, a little getting by is okay. Obedience and faithfulness are what Jesus <coughs> wants from all of us. People are watching you and you do make a difference. And we should desire to get to know Jesus so we can be a Jesus for other people on earth. So Paul wanted us to know the person of Jesus Christ. And he also, secondly, wants us to know the power of Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's a pretty lofty goal. But Paul experienced an incredible power when he was saved, right? On the Damascus Road when he was blinded and, and uh, had to get his sight back. And, and God worked in him in a miraculous way. So he, he had kind of experienced that power. And one place in the New Testament says he saw things that no one should see. God gave him a glimpse, I think, of heaven. And so he saw those things. In the New Testament, salvation is described as a resurrection, we are dead in our sins, and Christ made us a new creation by his power that works in us. I don't know about your salvation experience, but I was saved when I was little, but a lot of people have you know, a great power, the salvation, right away. They're, they're saved. They're excited about their faith. They're excited about being the weight of sin being gone, the joy of knowing Jesus, and the desire to learn more uh, just abounds in their life. Uh, then suddenly, maybe we slowly kind of lose that. The power that raised Jesus from the dead still wants, God still wants to give us that through, through a spirit. You know, you know I got I to gotta admit for myself, I don't experience that power maybe like I'd want to every day. But it's still my longing, right? It's still my longing here on earth to know the power of his resurrection. And uh, it's my goal to press on to know him more so I can experience that power in mighty ways. But even now, and I hope it's your experience too, that things happen even in your day-to-day life. That, you know, for me, I pray to love a student better. I pray to help me respond in situations better at school. And then after I actually do one or two times, I'm like, wow, that had to be God's power working through me because that is not how I normally respond. And so seeing God's power work through the little things and know that he wants to continue to work through you, even in mighty things, is something that we need to... We need to be striving for every day. So Paul wanted to know the person of Jesus Christ. He wanted to know the power of Jesus Christ. And finally, and probably most difficultly, he wanted to know the pain of Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says, And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. May share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Sharing of his suffering goes hand in hand with the power of the resurrection. We really can't know one without the other. Um, together they provide a way for us, for us to know Jesus more. 
I love the way Paul says it uh, in one version. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. The fellowship. Who wants to join that fellowship? Hey, our church has great suffering. Want to come on? Yeah? That's, that, I think that should be our new marketing tool, not that circle. I, you know? I, I don't know. That, that's not going to draw a lot of people, right? Um, that's an unpopular concept. But the truth is, suffering is essential to knowing Jesus. I think we heard about this a little last week. And Paul knew this. I did a check of my concordance when I was, I was preparing, and, and I didn't look up these references, obviously, but I just looked at suffering. What's it say? How many times is it mentioned? 53 times in my concordance it was mentioned. And I'm sure a lot of it, it's not all about personal suffering and the faith, but just that word. Paul states about his own life in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers and danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from that, that's nothing. These things were in, in uh, the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches. We'll have a sign-up sheet out there for you guys who want to sign up to be like Paul. Who would want that, right? I mean, that's crazy. He went through so much stuff. He had to be thinking something different than I'm thinking daily when I get up and go to school and work every day. You know, I don't think we're probably going to suffer as much as Paul had to suffer. Um, but we do know, as Christians, we're expected to suffer. Steve talked about this last week. When he talked about adversity and how God wants to redeem all our adversity to accomplish in our hearts what can't be done any other way and how he gives us others to help us through those times. He also talked about our reflex reaction to suffering is that we, A, try to make it go away or B, manage the emotions that come from it. I really think that I and we need a mindset shift in this area. So I just want to look at one passage and just kind of get us thinking about what our mindset shift should be like. Philippians 1.27. Philippians 1.27. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe on him but suffer for his sake. We have to change our thinking to the following. Suffering for Christ is a divine gift. It's sacred intimacy. Karl Barth explains, the grace of being permitted to believe in Christ is surpassed by the grace of being permitted to suffer for him. Of being permitted to walk the way of Christ with Christ himself to the perfection of fellowship with him. That's got to be our mindset. As we think about that, the, the fellowship moves that, the Christian beyond the role of beneficiary of Christ's death to a sharer in his sufferings. The suffering that comes to a Christian is not a sign of God's neglect, but rather proof that grace is at work in your life. Suffering can draw you closer to God, and it can draw you closer to people in ways that nothing else can. I know as I look back over my own life, 
I feel like I have not had a ton of suffering in my life, but I remember back in the fall of 1993 when my wife started having these tingling sensations all over her body and different parts of her body, and we didn't know what was going wrong. We thought there might be a tumor somewhere, and is she even going to wake up tomorrow morning, and and, uh, what's going on here? So obviously we went to the doctor. We can't find anything wrong. Spinal taps that aren't any fun at all. Well, they weren't any fun for her. I didn't have to go through them. Um, Couldn't find anything. Finally, we went to Mayo Clinic in the winter of uh, 93, and she was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis, MS, which, quite frankly, was a relief because we knew what we were dealing with instead of all the mystery and all the whys, right? Um, She's doing great, by the way. I don't say that so you feel sorry for her. That was in 1993, and she's still doing really well. In fact, she had a doctor's appointment. Her doctor called her boring, so... I don't call her boring. Her doctor called her boring because she was such a good patient. She didn't have, you know, all the symptoms of most of his other patients that he has to see. So that's a good thing. But I bring that story up because what happened during that time? Well, Connie and I grew a lot closer. I grew a lot closer to God. Connie drew a lot closer to God. And not only that, we grew a lot closer to our Sunday school class at North Webster Church of God because they became, you know, Christ's hands and feet for us. They came to our house and cleaned our house because Connie couldn't. They... Um, cooked us meals. They prayed for us. They just came around us and did whatever we needed to and showed us what Jesus was, would, would do in that situation. And that experience and that closeness is something that we would have never had, you know, with, without all that suffering happening in our lives. And I'm sure that you guys have similar stories. If you've lived it all, you're going to have to go through something. And I, I just think that our mindsets continually need to be that that isn't, uh, that, yeah, that's suffering, but that's a divine gift from God. That's something that he's p- putting us through um, to help us. The closer we draw to Christ, the more we're going to suffer. And who wants to suffer? Well, you know, no one really does, but if we, had, if we heed last week's sermon and know that we serve a sovereign God who loves us and is jealous for us, and that he is, as Romans 8.28 says, works all things for the good who love him and to be called according to his purpose, then we understand the more we suffer, the more closer we can grow to Jesus with the Spirit's help. Also, I think it's important to note in this verse what comes first, right? The resurrection power we need to go through any suffering Jesus has in store for us is first. No one can go through the suffering without experiencing the power of Jesus' resurrection and his Spirit working in our lives. So I'm not advising you to go out looking for suffering because I think it's going to find you soon enough. But don't be surprised when it happens and let it draw you closer to the Savior. Think of it in a different way as a divine gift from God, not when can I get out of this situation. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, for the sake of Christ, I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul knew that in his life. And I knew as soon as I preached this sermon that something probably in the next month or two will probably give me a chance to test what I just preached. So, and that's okay too. That'll give me a chance to grow closer to Jesus Christ. Paul closes this section in Philippians by saying that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. This phrase has had some people wondering, maybe is Paul doubting his salvation here? Um, But that's not true. H.A. Ironstein summarized Paul's thoughts this way. I long to know him more intimately. Let the suffering involved be what it may. 
I would even die as he died or any other way that he might choose in order to be included in the great catching away of all the saints that is coming. I want to follow whatever way he may lead me to the glorious resurrection from among the dead. So Paul's basically just saying that he knows he's going to be saved. He wants that highest reward God can give him when he gets to heaven. He wants to press on for that reward that God has for him in heaven. So as we close today, I want you to just think about what's your greatest, what's your greatest pleasure. What is your greatest pleasure? John Bloom says, for our greatest pleasure is always the measure of our greatest treasure. You know, there's a question I love asking high school kids. I did it all the time when I taught driver ed because I'm in a car with a high school kid for an hour. And so you got to talk about something, right? You got to know a little bit about them. And my question was always, what's your passion? So I'm asking you that today. What's your passion? What do you get excited about in life? What could you talk about for hours on end? If you know me, you know what mine is, right? And guess what? They're still playing baseball, Cub fans. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They won't be for too long if you watch the last two days. Um, people ask me, why, why are you such a Cardinal fan? Why are you a St. Louis Cardinal fan? You don't live in St. Louis. You're not even close to St. Louis. Why do you like the Cardinals so much? Like, I'm like, I don't really know. I know I played wiffle ball when I was growing up and my best friend was a Cub fan and he was the Cubs and I was a Cardinal, so that's always what I say, but I'm not sure if that's true. I know the one thing is true for sure, though. Once I became a Cardinal fan, I actually went to a professional baseball game and I experienced that firsthand. I became more of a fan. It was more of a passion, right? I got that taste of what it was like to, to be at a major league park and enjoy baseball and see that, and I like baseball anyway. And I got to experience it. And I think that's a little bit, and a, a very poor analogy probably, but what Paul's saying in his life, right? He got to experience a little bit on earth what, what Jesus was like on that Damascus road. He really got to experience Jesus, and that kept him pursuing, that kept him spending time in relationship, kept him listening and learning and finding as much knowledge as he could, but then just trying to know Christ better every single day of his life, knowing that Christ's promises are true and if we're faithful to him. So all our lives are supposed to flow from that main life priority, as Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul's life went about a major transformation because his main priority in life changed. What about you? If you're like me, you would say that's your main priority in life. If you've been a believer for any length of time, then you know that to know Christ, to know Christ is what you need to be making the main priority in your life. But, but are you doing it? Are you living it out? Living that out daily, it's a struggle, man. It is. It's hard to do that all the time. How do you keep knowing Christ as a passion in your life every single day? How are you feeding your passion? You know, I don't have a list of things here that I'm going to shout out to you about in your family circle and your of how that's going to happen in your life, right? I know God gave us his word and he wants us to pray and all that stuff, and you know that too. I just want you to sit there the last five minutes or so here of this um, sermon, and as Aaron's going to sing a song 
uh, just remain seated as he sings. I just want you to look at the words, listen to the words, and just reflect on knowing Jesus. How does God want me, what is the Spirit trying to teach me today about how I need to know Jesus more deeply? Um, I, I'm just always touched by a phrase of a David Crowder song when it starts, which says, he is jealous for me. Wow. Wow. You know, I don't have that passion in my life I need. If he's jealous for me, I need to be jealous for him. I need to be passionate about my relationship with Jesus Christ, and I need to be doing everything that I can. I need to be looking to him to help me sense how he wants, how I'm supposed to know him better. And I pray as we close today that the Spirit would just speak to you. Let's pray. Father, your words are what convict us. Paul wanted to know you better. He wanted to know the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings, and becoming like you in your death. A lot of that is so foreign to me, Lord. I want to know you better. I want to know that your blessings don't just come through health, wealth, kids doing well. That your blessings sometimes come through raindrops, through tears, through heartaches in our life. Help us to realize the suffering that we may be going through right now or the suffering that we were going to go through in the near future is a divine gift. It's a gift that we can't experience any other way that comes from, that gives us the opportunity to know you better. Help us to know what you're trying to teach us through those times. Help us to redeem all those times for your glory. And help us to just understand that you want other people to see Jesus through us. And I pray that would be our passion each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen.